0: It's Bond-tober. And this is the Movie Ticket Radio Podcast. I'm your charming and delightful host, J.R. Russ, along with Hall of Fame broadcaster John Records Landecker. And all this month, we're looking at the music in all of the James Bond movies. So join us now as Bond-tober continues. That's right, Halloween just around the corner. And so we're still doing all the Bond movies celebrating the new Bond movie. Did you see it yet?
1: I have not.
0: Oh, wow. I'm really surprised. I figured that you would be right on that. Have you? I have. And? You know, I have very mixed feelings. I thought it was Hmm. a very good movie, a little long. Right. But I'm very conflicted about a few things in it that I guess we'll go into it another time. First, after you and anyone listening here has had a chance to see it. But there are a few things I'm conflicted about. All right. All right. I will say we did talk. bond cars last week and i think that the aston martin db5 the original bond car should get co-credits in the movie
1: well as far as as far as i'm concerned that is the bond car i know they've had other product placements and other cars and movies since then but that's the bond car come on yeah everybody
0: knows that well and featured in a very high action sequence in the, the pre-title section uh, it was ah. just really really good and his other car shows up the dbs shows up later on i like the car except for the hideous hunter green color it's just bad in my is
1: that british racing green
0: yeah probably that's ah. i'm not british so
1: right or green
0: yeah and i don't know on that car it just doesn't look right but anyway so, live and let die, John. Live and let die.
1: Paul McCartney, Linda McCartney, and then eventually also uh, Guns N' Roses.
0: That's right. Uh, even though that now they say there's no time to die, they were a little more liberal back in 1973. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, live and let die. It's okay. Uh, that was the first song to be nominated from any James Bond movie for an Academy Award, ah, uh, the look of love by Burt Backrack and Hal David from Casino Royale was nominated in '67, and I still don't count that as a real James Bond movie because it was a spoof. Right, you know, even though there, a lot of times they don't count. Never say never again because it's not an eon production movie but it had sean connery and and other people from the bond cast so i feel that that's more of a bond movie than casino royale was the the 67 peter sellers one
1: right i hear that but i mean if the movie's got um sean connery in it and the character he is playing is named james bond yep i, I don't care who made it that's a james <laughs> bond movie
0: you're right in yeah. fact, if Any character's in it and he's James Bond, I guess he's James Bond. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which is this movie because they went through Sean Connery and then George Lazenby through one and then Connery came back. Right. And then finally he said, no, I'm really, really done this time. So now we're on to Roger Moore, the Roger Moore era. Okay. Live and Let Die, not only one of the best Bond songs, but just a great song in general.
1: Yes. You know what? It was a hit. On its own merits, it didn't necessarily have to have a tie-in with a Bond film.
0: Right, and Paul McCartney and Wings, I might add. Yes. And it was also performed in a movie by Brenda Arnault. I don't recall that, but apparently she did that in the movie. Well,
1: you know, the last thing you want to do as a recording artist is to sing a song in a movie and have Paul McCartney and Wings sing that same song (laughs) in the same movie. And then expect anybody to remember who the hell you
0: are. Really, really good point. That's excellent point you made there. It was such a good song, and if you've seen Paul McCartney and Wings, uh, I remember the first time I saw him was at RFK Stadium in Washington, D.C., and it was the first time that he started to admit that he was in a band before Wings. <laughs> Right when they got to "Live and Let Die," after they say "Live and Let Die," and bam, bada, they had the fireworks going, and the crowd just went insane. You know, it just was really good. So it's yeah. a great, great performance song, and it just it's everything. And then there was also the traditional "Just a Closer Walk with Thee," written by Milton Batiste. Hmm. and that's John's father from the Late Show with with uh, Stephen Colbert. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, his father was a musician in New Orleans, and I think his uncle and he had other family members. They were so it's a musical family that huh. John Baptiste is from. So it's obvious where he gets his talent. I guess so. And and of course the James Bond theme, the still the original Monty Norman version was in that movie as well. Yeah, and that's the best
1: Bond theme ever, as far yeah. as I'm concerned.
0: And you know who could have been James Bond at this point? Ah, let's see. Who could
1: have been James Bond at this point? Tell me, punk. Clint Eastwood.
0: (laughs) Yeah, he apparently was pretty hot coming off Dirty Harry. He said he was flattered but declined, saying Bond should be a British actor.
1: Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) You know, that's that's something I can't actually envision, is seeing Clint Eastwood and have him speak with a British accent.
0: You got to ask yourself. I like my martinis shaken or stirred. (laughs) Connery apparently turned down at the time an astronomical five and a half million dollars, close to 132 million in dollars today to play bond for the seventh time. And he gave Roger Moore his personal seal of approval To inherit the role as an ideal Bond Who was 45 at the time when he made the debut And that makes him the oldest actor to play the the character Mm. uh, At the end of his term with Bond And George Lazenby, who was 29 Was the youngest in 69 with On Her Majesty's Secret Service Yes That's the only James Bond movie with Roger Moore In which Felix Leiter appears And that was David Hedison Who, remember the TV show he was in? Uh, no Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea with Richard Basehart.
1: That was a TV
0: show or a movie? No, it was a TV show first in the 60s. Wow, I missed that. Yeah, a pretty good show, actually. It was a, an Irwin Allen show. Huh. And Richard Basehart was the captain, and he was the first mate.
1: Well, maybe I did see it, because I can certainly picture his face in the role.
0: Yeah, and Hedison also played Felix Leiter in 89 in License to Kill. Right. And then Mr. Big in the movie was Yafet Koto. Uh-huh. And he was the youngest actor to play a main Bond villain up to that time at 33. And Joffrey Holder was in it as the, I guess he was a sorcerer kind of guy. His most famous ad was the 7-Up ad. These are cola nuts. These that cola nuts. Yeah. Yes. Refreshing. So, um... Pretty good movie overall, a little dispatched at times, but not bad. And we go on to just the next year. They, they cranked down another one here in 1974, The Man with the Golden Gun.
1: And that was uh, music by John Barry, and Lulu performed that.
0: Yep, Don Black, they were the lyricist, and that was a good one. And they had the James Bond theme yep. with Monty Norman. And again, for folks just maybe tuning in to this podcast, we're not mentioning every piece of music in the movie, because most of it is a musical score or background. Right. Right. But those were the two really melodic ones. But yeah, Lulu singing the gold, man with the golden gun. To oh. Sir with Love, her biggest single, I think, isn't it?
1: Oh, definitely.
0: Yeah.
1: And that was from a movie yeah. with uh, Sydney Poitier.
0: Yes. That was actually one of the lowest grossing Bond movies, combined with behind-the-scene problems, made it nearly the final Bond movie, and delayed production of the next one until three years later in 77 wow. with The Spy Who Loved Me. This was the one with Michel Scalabanga, uh, Hervé Villechaize, who became a household name as probably one of the most famous little people around, I think. <laughs>
1: I would probably think you're right.
0: He was so poor, he was living out of his car in Los mm-hmm. Angeles till he was discovered.
1: You know, that's not an unusual story. It's no. not something that happens all the time, but it happens some of the time. You hear stories about that. Actors who were really down to their last nickel.
0: Yeah, and sports people, too. Like Kurt Warner was packing groceries before he uh, played and won a Super Bowl, and I think they're doing a movie about his life. Wow. So that's Greg. kind of a rags-to-riches story, too. No martini was drunk in this movie.
1: Hmm. <laughs> and you know what? And Apparently, uh, the theater doors were neither shaken nor stirred.
0: <laughs> By that event. <laughs> <laughs> and I think they were coming off the Smoky the bandit rush with this because they had Clifton James as chef J.W. Pepper. What? Oh, okay. Yeah. And then this was the one we were, when we were talking about cars last week that had the stunt with the AMC Hornet that did a 360 roll in the air. It went over a bridge, and it went through a loop-de-loop and jumped a river. Wow. And the car was owned by Jay Milligan, and he had a stunt show, and they'd go around to the county fairs and stuff. They'd do these, these stunt shows, driving the cars over school buses and all this kind of stuff. Well, this was mm-hmm. the guy that called it the Astro Spiral Jump.
1: And uh, he survived.
0: He did. The corkscrew jump was apparently conceived uh, several years before the movie went into production. And they actually slowed it down because they thought it would be too fast. And people wouldn't, first of all, believe that it was real. And second of all, they put in a little kind of a goofy slide whistle thing in there. And the director now says he re- regrets doing that because it made it comedic.
1: A goofy slide whistle would definitely be comedic.
0: Yeah, very unbond. Totally on Bond. Yeah. Then we mentioned The Spy Who Loved Me, 77.
1: Nobody Does It Better.
0: Yeah, probably one of the most played Bond songs on just regular radio. Right. Carly Simon. And that was uh, written as a guy that did The Sting.
1: Marvin Hamlish.
0: Yeah. And uh, Carol Bayer Sager did the lyrics. Mm
1: -hmm. Good team.
0: Yeah. And then uh, the James Bond theme, again, by Monty Norman. And then there was a newer version that Hamlish kind of spiced up. picked up the pace, called it Bond 77. Hmm. Nobody Does It Better was also the second Bond theme that was titled differently from the movie, but it did include the line, The Spy Who Loved Me, in it. Right. The first differently named theme was All the Time in the World, which ran at the end of On Her Majesty's Secret Service. And I'll spoil alert here. Listen for it in No Time to Die. Ah, Mm-hmm. And the Union Jack parachute jump that's done at the beginning of it was actually suggested by George Lazenby in 69, but they didn't feel that they had the technology to pull it off, and they did it in this movie.
1: Well, you know, technology in the movies is continually increased over time. So,
0: But that was a real stunt. It wasn't right. Uh, CGI. Right, computer generated. Yeah. yeah. This, by the way, was the last movie Elvis saw.
1: Oh, too bad.
0: Yeah, he died six days later at the age of 42 choking on a cheeseburger I think
1: I guess that's right Yeah, (laughs) remember tragedy plus time equals comedy
0: yep and there you go and a lot of manufacturers now you know after the success of the Aston Martin in there they all wanted their cars in the movies now oh sure absolutely I think this is Pretty ingenious. A PR manager for Lotus realized the best way to get in there was to make the producers chase them. Ah. So rather than begging them, one day he turned up at Pinewood Studios driving the Lotus Esprit. It was not released yet. It was not on the uh, out to the public, and they covered up all of the identifying logos. And he parked it outside the bond set. And when they broke for lunch, everybody came out, and it. it attracted a crowd. Everybody wondering what the heck the car was. <laughs> then he nonchalantly got in the car and drove away without answering any questions.
1: Good move.
0: Yeah, as expected, the producers were desperate to discover the car, and yeah. they later chose it in the movie. Awesome. They had two in there. One was the white Lotus Esprit. And then they had a gold one or a bronze color. The white one was the one that was actually capable of transforming.
1: Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Into a... Submarine. Yeah, exactly.
0: I guess the car itself didn't. They went through like seven bodies to do it. It was like in stages. But there was an actual working underwater version of that vehicle. Yeah. There was a show called American Restoration on History Channel that restored it called Rick's Restoration. And they picked up the car at auction or something. And they did a restoration on one of the models of the car. Mm. And guess who bought it at auction in 2014?
1: Elon Musk.
0: Yep. That's what happens when you got lots of money.
1: How about that?
0: Richard Keel recounted how Jaws had a survival, and at the end of the movie, it was uh, met with applause after several screenings. So (laughs) he and his metal teeth were very, very happy. In fact, the the teeth are on display at the Spy Museum in Washington, D.C.
1: And I think that's the only appropriate.
0: Yep. The closing credits say James Bond will return, and for your eyes only, in, in 1981. But because of the success of Star Wars, A New Hope, and Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Moonraker was chosen. So, for your eyes only, actually opened in 81, but the next Bond movie was Moonraker.
1: Well, there's a, that's a good lesson to learn when you're making a movie. You make sure you know what's coming out as your competition, because... Mm-hmm. No need to be clobbered at the box office when you don't have to
0: be. Nope. So, okay, so now Moonraker, 11th in the James Bond series, and it also had Lois Childs, Michael Lionsdale, and Richard Keel again back as Jaws.
1: Nobody can do Jaws like Richard Keel.
0: No. In my opinion, it was the dumbest. Of all the Bond movies. Could be. It was in space and he had that the girl floating oh, around yeah. with the pigtails and <laughs> he fell in love at the end. But Richard Keel again said at the end of the movie, people applauded that he and the girl lived and didn't die in space. Well, that's nice. I'm sure they eventually did when they ran out of oxygen, but <laughs> until then they were happy. So, you know, God bless them up there. Right. Moonraker was done by Shirley Bassey and this was her third Bond theme. Because she did Diamonds Are Forever and Goldfinger. Right? So she could have just sung, Moonraker, it's in space.
1: Moonraker, wider than a mile.
0: <laughs> and I believe that also had the James Bond theme in it. So up to 1981, the previously mentioned For Your Eyes Only came up in 1981. And that theme was by Sheena Easton, who is the only singer of the song, Who's also appeared in the opening credits?
1: Interesting point.
0: Now I'm I'm drawing a little bit of a fog on No Time to Die, but I think they showed Billie Eilish in it in the opening credits. Huh. It was a two hour and 40 minute movie. It kind of, you know, there was a lot going on, but I, I recall that I think she did that, but Sheena Easton was the first Bill Conti who did uh, the Rocky theme, Rocky Mm -hmm. music, did the music there, Mick Leeson lyrics. And then there was also make it last all night in the movie by (laughs) rage and Monty Norman's version of the James Bond theme in that as well. Right. And the title song was the first one where, as I say, Sheena Easton, the person singing, showed up. Uh, the, top, the song went top 10 on the U.K. charts, big in the U.S. as well. So uh, it was big time. And uh, it also featured a song and dance number at the Oscars when she performed it.
1: I must have missed that Oscars. <laughs>
0: yeah, well, how could you? There was only three channels in 1981 weren't there. <laughs> I think you're right. Were you watching Murder, She Wrote?
1: Probably. Yeah. Oh, God, I love that Murder, She <laughs> Wrote.
0: Murder, she wrote. At the time of the movie's release, the studio was still reeling from Michael Cimino's Heaven's Gate. That was a notorious bomb. And United Artists was filing for bankruptcy. And when the movie took in a worldwide gross of $195 million, it actually saved the company.
1: That's happened uh, many times to many studios who are on the brink of bankruptcy. And at the last minute, they have some huge blockbuster and can continue on.
0: Yep. And uh, Bernard Lee, who played M, this was the first movie that didn't have him in it because he was ill and he uh, later died of stomach cancer Mm. right after the filming had started, but his scenes were not shot. So as a result, there are several scenes that were intended for M and they were rewritten with Q Ah. as a mark of respect by Albert Broccoli, who refused to recast the role so soon. Probably the biggest amount of screen time that Q had because of these rewrites. And also in the opening helicopter scene, there's a bald man that could not be called Blofeld as two-time producer Kevin McClory won a court case a couple years earlier who owned the rights to the use of Spectre and Ernest Stavro Blofeld. Right. So... When they dumped Blofeld down a smokestack in the movie, Mm -hmm. it was Broccoli's way of telling McClory that the success of 007 didn't depend on him. (laughs) Apparently, they kissed and made up later on and used all those names again. And the closing scene with British Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher marked the first time a real-life head of government was portrayed in an on-screen scene in a James Bond movie.
1: Interesting to know.
0: So now, two years later, we're on to 1983 and Octopussy. (laughs) A very, what do you want to say, uh, titillating name?
1: Oh, well, not the first time a James Bond film has done that, nor the last.
0: A great theme song in this movie.
1: All Time High, written by Tim Rice and uh, performed by Rita Coolidge.
0: Which again, this was a theme that didn't include the name of the movie in it. Right, exactly. Which you know, what rhymes with octopusy? Yeah, nothing. I don't Let's think. Wussy. <laughs> we'll don't. Yeah. He's
1: no wussy. He's an octopusy. Yeah. No, so that she, wouldn't work.
0: No, she's an octopusy and bonso so wussy. Yes. <laughs> or he's go. not wussy. Yeah. Well. Right. We'll work on that lyric, okay? Uh, John Barry music. They also played the Liberty Bell, which was the music by John Philip Sousa, which you may recognize if you're a Monty uh, Python fan. How did it sound with the crack in it? Uh, Off-key. Ah. (laughs) And the Monty Norman James Bond theme again. Well, it's the James Bond theme. Yes. Yes. And during casting, James Brolin almost got the role. Mm. And at the last minute, Roger Moore agreed to play Bond one more time. Good. And the production went with more because they were competing with Connery's Never Say Never Again, which uh, I see, yeah. brought back Connery for a load of money, basically, is what it was.
1: Actually, actually that should have been the title of the film. Load of money.
0: Yeah. <laughs> James Bond, load of money. Load of money. Right. I like it. That same kind of a thing occurred with Casino Royale, and You Only Live Twice in '67, and it was the first James Bond movie to be released with the MGM Lion logo at the beginning. There's also that Acrostar jet in the pre-title sequence. The
1: Acrostar jet.
0: Yeah, it goes flying through the air, airplane hangar. Oh yes, absolutely. Uh, that's hanging from the ceiling of a restaurant in Clearwater, Florida.
1: It made it all the way across
0: the ocean? It did. Yeah. <laughs> Got really good mileage.
1: I'll say. Where are we landing? Where? We? we need a place to land. Look at that restaurant. Well, we're going down. <laughs> <laughs> Order drinks for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Is this the happy hour yet? Yes. Huh?
0: It's always happy hour in Florida, John. You know that. Yeah. Oh, tell me about it. Yeah. Robert Brown was cast to replace M now. And that's kind of another little thing I'll tip my hand on the new movie in that there's a 007 in it. And the person who is 007 said, so Would you think they'd retire the number? So it's the same thing with M. You know, you had one M, they just right. recast it with another M. So, right. Okay. And during the filming, Roger Moore was misdiagnosed with heart problems. And when he got home, Maude Adams had her boyfriend, who was a doctor, give him a second opinion and pronounced him medically fit.
1: Sometimes these things just have a way of working out.
0: It's who you know. Indeed. (laughs) And most of the crew, as well as Roger Moore, had diet problems while shooting in India. Uh, That is code for, Uh you know.
1: Yes. Let's just put it this way. The movie... Ran long. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and it went through a lot of a, extra laundry. Yeah
1: it, yeah, it had a long running time, if you <laughs> get my drift. Yes.
0: And this was the last Bond movie to reveal the name of the next Bond movie in the credits for that obvious reason we saw before. Uh, they had From A View to a Kill. A View to a Kill. And by the way, they dropped the word from, so the movie was just A View to a Kill. So they mm. went, you know, we can't promote this that early because we make too many changes. Gotcha. Oh, it was Barbara Carrera that turned down the role of Octopussy, and she appeared in Never Say Never Again because she wanted to work with Sean Connery. And who didn't? And in 1983, those folks did. Never Say Never Again was a Michael LeGrand song. Alex Bergman and Marilyn Bergman wrote it. And Herb Alpert's, I'm not sure if wife at the time, but definitely girlfriend Lonnie Hall sang it. Hmm. Not a really good song. Again, who you know. Right. John Barry was invited to do the music for the movie, but politely declined out of respect for Broccoli and the association with Eon Productions. And the title was allegedly based on a conversation between Connery and his wife after Diamonds Are Forever. Mm -hmm. He told her he'd never play James Bond again, and she said, never say never again. (laughs) Yeah,
1: I've I've heard that story. I don't know if it's true or an urban legend.
0: And George Lazenby was considered (sighs) to play again. No. But was dropped... From consideration.
1: Thank goodness. Nothing against George Lazenby as an actor, but he's not James Bond.
0: Uh, I don't know. I thought he was all Uh, right. Rowan Atkinson's first movie was in this, and he parodied (laughs) James Bond later on as
1: Johnny English.
0: Yes. Mr. Bean.
1: Mr. Bean.
0: He's pretty funny. And Barbara Carrera did her own love scenes with Connery, declining to body double. She said in interviews that nudity and sex scenes never bothered her. Well, isn't that good to know? Ooh. Mm-hmm. And sadly, Alec Baldwin's been in the news Well, his former yeah. wife, Kim Basinger, had never seen a Bond film. And a lot of people call it Basinger and things like that. And he said, no, it's like a bass singer. Mm-hmm. Now we move on to 1987. We had a number of years between all of these because they had to get a new James Bond. Yeah. Who will we use for the new James Bond, they said.
1: Well, hmm.
0: This was the last James Bond to use an original Ian Fleming title until Casino Royale in 2006, a gap of almost 20 years.
1: Is this Pierce Brosnan's time?
0: No. 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 Timothy Dalton.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. The Living Daylights... A great song done by Aha, which was kind of a surprise. John Barry wrote the music, and Pal Wakhtar of Aha wrote the lyrics. Uh-huh. His last name spelled W-A-A-K-T-A-A-R. It's like, Pal, would you like to buy a consonant? <laughs> 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 and then it also had a Pretender's song in it, Where Has Everybody Gone? And also, If There Was a Man, which was the closing title, John Barry and Creasy Hind who wrote the lyrics, Pretenders did it, and once again, Monty Norman's James Bond theme, The Most Desirable Bond, not by women, MI6, or even Spectre, but Timothy Dalton was originally considered for the role of James Bond in the late 60s. He was screen-tested by Broccoli for Her Majesty's Secret Service, and he turned down the part because he thought he was too young. Then he was considered for Diamonds Are Forever in 71, but he turned it down again, still feeling he was too young. And was considered for a third time, for your eyes only, when it was unclear if Roger Moore would return. But this time, Dalton declined because there wasn't even a first draft of the script. And then, in 83, he was offered the role again in Octopussy, and yet again in 85 for A View to a Kill. And he had to decline those two because of previous commitments.
1: They must have really wanted him.
0: Yeah, and I don't know what made him that Desirable. I mean, I don't think he was the greatest, but he was good. But for this one, The Living Daylights, Dalton was again unavailable, and they chose Pierce Brosnan. Right in '86, but he was Remington Steele on NBC and NBC decided to cancel the show, and that meant Brosnan was free to play James Bond in the movie the following year. Mm -hmm. However, right before the end of the fourth season, NBC had second thoughts about canceling Remington Steele and subsequently approached the Bond producers directly in an attempt to strike a deal that would allow Brosnan to play James Bond and Remington Steele the following year. And eventually, Broccoli famously told NBC that James Bond will not be Remington Steele. And Remington Steele will not be James Bond.
1: I should certainly hope so.
0: Yep. So Brosnan would only play Bond if the show remained canceled. NBC had a 60-day deadline to revoke the decision. And at 6.30 on the 60th day of the deadline, Brosnan learned that NBC decided to make a fifth season. So he couldn't play Bond, so that opened the door for Dalton. And then NBC only went on to make six episodes of Remington Steel and then canceled the show for good.
1: (laughs) Don't you just love show business?
0: Oh, man, what a story that was. That was long, but it was pretty darn interesting. Yes, it is. And then we go to the next one was License to Kill in 1989. Mm -hmm. And that was Narenda Michael Walden, the music writer, and Walter Afganesev, the lyricist, and Gladys Knight singing it. But no pips. She was pipless. Yep. It was sad. (laughs) Pip. And If You Ask Me To was the end title. Patti LaBelle did that one. Diane Warren, a writer. Mm -hmm. And uh, Monty Norman's James Bond theme in there again. And I thought this was interesting. Somewhere in there, there's a song called Game Show. Music by Ray Davies. From the Kinks. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, interesting. And widely and incorrectly rumored that this was Dalton's last Bond film due to financially disappointing. But in reality, he was to star in a third film titled Property of a Lady huh. set to start shooting in 90. But there were legal issues with MGM that created long delays and it finally led to to announce his retirement for the role all the way in 94. He just kept hanging on, hanging on, hanging on. And finally, he's like, hey, you know, I'm done with you guys. So right. that paved the way for Pierce Brosnan's casting in Golden Eye in 95. Had that film been made, it would have been set in Scotland, Tokyo, and Hong Kong and dealt with nanotechnology. No director was officially attached to that. Rumored, among others, was John Landis. And you remember him for doing Animal House and also Private Parts.
1: That would have been a bizarre combination.
0: Yeah, I mean, they could have named it Animal MI6 or Bond's <laughs> Private Parts.
1: <laughs> Bond's Private Parts. That's good.
0: I like that. That would have worked. Yeah. Also, the scene where Bond resigns from MI6 was shot at Ernest Hemingway's house in Key West. And that's that's why M informs 007 that his license to kill has been revoked. And Bond replies, I guess this was a farewell to arms.
1: That's a very good trivial item. Did not know that. Hey, that's good.
0: A nod to Hemingway's most famous novel. And at 21 years old now, Benicio Del Toro was the youngest actor to play a Bond villain. So now it's Dalton out, Brosnan in, and then Daniel Craig. Yes. Next time as Bond-tober rolls into November. (laughs) Bond-vember? Sure, why not? Or... No Craig Bond? No. <laughs> Bond Vember's better probably.
1: Bond Vember, I'll go with that.
0: Yeah. So uh we'll continue it again as we roll on one more time uh like and subscribe, tell your friends and uh just I don't know. Well, you know I, I just realized we don't even have a place for people to subscribe. <laughs> it's some kind of a button you have to create. If you know how to make a a Me? podcast subscribe. No, not you. Oh. The the listener. Oh, okay. If you know how to make a podcast, subscribe, uh, email us at radio at gmail.com. And we'd also like to hear any comments, observations, gripes, you know, whatever oh, yeah. you might have there, suggestions for movies we could do or, or other things we should or should not do. Let us know and we'll yeah. totally ignore them. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm J.R. Russ.
1: I'm John Lantecker.
0: And we'll catch you next time on this here podcast. Bye. Bye-bye now. Movie Ticket Radio.